Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the first Saturday, as a matter of fact, in the year 2024. January the 6th, I'm your host, Mark Call, and this year started off a lot like the last one ended, and indeed a lot like we continued to see most of last year, with more lies being pushed off as truth by the Ministries of Truth and the Waystream Media, but on the other hand, still more things that were called conspiracy theories for years being revealed to have been fact all along. And we got examples on both of those fronts to kick things off today, starting more or less chronologically from earlier in the week after the Monday holiday, where the fake news media seemed to do even less reporting of the truth than normal. Because a lot of the stories that we'll start off with today seem to be the kind of things that would normally get swept under the rug. And here's an example of that. It's certainly not the top story. As a matter of fact, it's probably not even going to be reported by the criminally negligent networks of the world. After all, they didn't talk about it when the circus trials were going on. But the Gateway Pundit has it up, along with the video of the man called the Q Shaman, a.k.a. Jacob Chansley, who read a tweet, as it turns out, and it was videoed at the Capitol on January 6th, right after the rigged election and the real revolution. And no wonder his defense attorneys weren't provided the video, much less letting a jury see it. They lied about even the existence of so many things like this. At least some Americans are now beginning to understand what life must have been like under Joseph Stalin. In the video, folks, and I'll play at least a bit of it, looks like it was recorded from a cell phone, so it can be a bit difficult to understand. The video is helpful, and I can't show you that, but it is up on TGP. Anyway, the Q shaman read a tweet from President Trump to the crowd outside the U.S. Capitol on a megaphone telling them to go home, and he later added, we are peaceful, we are not Antifa. It goes on for a bit. Well, as many folks have noted, had they been Antifa, this would have been a whole different situation, don't you know? And none of them would have ended up in prison. Jacob Chansley, for example, was sentenced to 41 months for saying things like, we are peaceful, we are not Antifa, and reading the tweet from Donald Trump. And this is after he asked police if he was allowed to be inside the Capitol and then was escorted through the building by police and led a prayer in the U.S. Senate chamber. Oh, that's probably worth three years right there. Jim Hoff reminds us for TGP that six months prior to the January 6th Fed surrection, Democrats, leftists, Antifa, BLM, and other communists torched that same city, Washington, District of Criminals, and the same real insurrectionists did nearly $2 billion in cumulative damages during the summer of 2020. Obviously, it pays to be an insurrectionist on the far left in more ways than one. 
From there, let's do a quick summary of various headlines that aren't really that surprising, but do at least give us a sign of the times indication. Claudine Gay, the disastrous reprobate so-called president of the once great but now disgraced and disgusting Harvard University, is set to resign today. Good riddance. Way too late to salvage even a modicum of their integrity. In the borough of Queens on Roosevelt Island in New York City, there have been a number of small explosions that have caused power outages. Get used to it. People all over the area reported they felt small tremors. Multiple residents were awakened by loud noises and the feeling of their building shaking. The Fire Department of New York is still investigating, but hey, folks, don't worry. If it is terror, they're not about to tell you about it. Could be something as simple as lousy maintenance or the like, or as unsettling as a number of the new military fighting-age males joining up with cells all over the area and getting in a few practice runs. Continuing the headline review and entering the Forrest Gump segment thereof, you know, stupid is as stupid does, We've got a whole plethora of stories from Boston, where the racist mayor had a no-whites-allowed party. The attorney general's office says not to worry. That didn't violate any laws. Might have been different if she hadn't invited the right kind of people instead. At least it would have been front-page news on the PC press. But then again, we'll probably never know, will we? Here's one from the Daily Mail. A gunman, it says, raided the Colorado Supreme Court building in downtown gun-free Denver Tuesday morning, firing shots, setting fire to the building, and holding a security guard at gunpoint, according to local reports. Was he wearing a MAGA hat? Well, obviously not, or they'd have told us. The Daily Mail wants to know if it was related to that bogus Supreme Court decision, although they, of course, didn't call it that late last month, which essentially said that in order to protect democracy, we intend to rig the next presidential election. Brace yourselves. And in a statement, the Colorado State Patrol says, quote, the CSP and DPD, that's Denver Police Department, are treating this incident seriously, but at this time, it is believed that it is not associated with previous threats to the Colorado Supreme Court justices. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. Move along. Move along. Here's another one. Brainless idiots in Colorado, and by the way, this is a summary of the headline, folks, from the Daily Mail, are masquerading as leftist tree huggers. Whoops, we can't say that anymore. The so-called environmentalists quit hugging trees a long time ago. Now they want to cut them down and bury them, because carbon dioxide. How's that for, uh, we're so stupid we can't even see straight? And introducing wolves in mass into the wild with the idea of, hey, maybe they'll eat some kids over the next few years, or, oh, wait a second, no, we'll pretend that's not a possibility. Earlier this month, a federal judge says the piece denied a request from two Colorado livestock operators to delay the release of the wolves. Can you guess the reception that got in the circus tent? Because the Colorado Cattlemen's Association and the Gunnison County Stock Growers Association filed a joint lawsuit against the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services and its director, CPWs Davis and Odell, which claimed that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, what a misnomer, did not adequately review the idiot state's plan to release all of these wolves, up to 50 of them, over the next few years. But government attorneys argued, hell, we don't need no stinking evidence, and further environmental reviews were unnecessary. In other words, we already know what we intend to do, and damn your animals and damn your kids. The judge sided with the federal agencies and released an order denying their request to be allowed to live in peace, or maybe at all. The ranchers have been assured that when their cattle are killed, they'll be compensated for the loss. They didn't say much about whether they have any kids or other adults that might be killed under the plan. They'll probably just treat them like a vax injury and say, ha, go pound salt. 
And when the wolves were released, the CPW director called it historic and said, quote, we'll continue releasing animals based on our plan to have the wolves not only survive, but eat people, no, no, thrive in Colorado, just as they did a century ago, unquote. And just as it was when kids were terrorized by stories of the big bad wolf that they're going to learn to see up close and personal if they live that long. Folks, this is absolutely idiotic. Now, the headline is actually what I'm working up to because it says that ranchers in Wyoming aren't quite so cowed or stupid. And they've said any of them cross the border, we're going to shoot to kill on sight. And good for them. Of course, the problem is the ranchers may not realize it until they find some dead animals or kids. And then they've got to try to go hunt them. Says the Colorado Wolf Restoration and Management Plan, quoted by the Daily Mail, there's every likelihood that the wolves may end up in Wyoming, given that the vicious canines, and they didn't put that word in there, can travel up to 140 miles from the place where they're freed, which would mean that Colorado's efforts might be thwarted by the ranchers of Wyoming. How dare they? What other nutcases in Denver would react if some people in the hinterlands voted to release black mambas in downtown Larimer Square? Serves them right. Well, explains the Daily Mail as if this was somehow even a problem. In a free state, the animals lose their protected status as soon as they cross the border into Wyoming, where they're classed properly as predators. But I guess if you think about it, this is exactly what's happening nationwide. They're importing predators and releasing them on the streets of San Francisco, New York, Chicago, and L.A. But like the wolves, they don't tend to stay there. And then telling the locals, don't you dare defend yourselves against what we intend to do to you, as if it wasn't obvious. Finally, a no-brainer concerning the no-brainers. This one comes from the Daily Mail, too, about a new Washington Post or WAPO University of Maryland poll, which shocked some of the leftists. It shows that only 14% of voters believe the BS that Trump was in any way responsible for the January 6th so-called Capitol riot, a.k.a. more properly, the Fed surrection. And this comes after those Colorado and Maine rulings. In Maine, of course, folks, it wasn't a ruling at all. It was an appointed idiot saying, the hell with any pretense about democracy. We'll come back to that. I just don't want to see Trump on the ballot, but I'm still going to tell you that your vote matters. Yeah, sure. You'll just only be allowed to cast it for those we say. And the same poll, continues the story, saw a dramatic drop from the December 2021 poll through the one that was conducted at the end of this last December in those who believe that the biden Fuhrer's bogus 2020 election victory was anything remotely, quote, legitimate. Matter of fact, even Democrats are starting to believe the obvious, even if the majority of them still are toeing the party line that the senile guy who never came out of his basement didn't actually win anything. And among Republicans, it's less than one in three that's drinking the Bud Light. The key, though, really is the trend, folks. Across the board over the last couple of years, every single group, Republicans, Democrats, independents, are increasingly moving away from the fair and honest election propaganda and realizing this thing stinks to high heaven. In other words, the narrative is undeniably falling apart. The question is just whether the majority will even remotely begin to wake up in time to salvage anything from it. By midweek, we had this story, kind of a sign of the times. From Zero Hedge, Tyler Durden and the U.S. Treasury, how's that for a misnomer, which says the piece has a morbid habit of revealing big round numbers of debt around major calendar milestones, like the new year. And this one's no different because according to the latest Treasury Daily Statement published after the close Tuesday, it says, and reflecting the U.S. Treasury's financial statements as of basically year-end, December 29, 2023, total U.S. debt as at the end of last year was, drumroll, Please, just over 34 trillion bucks, 
for the first time ever, 34 trillion, 1 billion, 493 million, and who knows and who cares how many other assorted little bits of fake dollars after the decimal point there. And when I think of it, that too is interesting. Anybody remember back when a billion dollars used to be considered something worth paying attention to? Now it's merely round-off error. And by the way, what does that tell you is coming when it comes to your grocery bills in the coming year? And just about everything else, too. Next, a brief update from Epstein's Pedophile Island. Were you expecting to see the list of names with Bill Clinton's featured prominently? Well, don't hold your breath. You knew that already, didn't you? Some on social media says one of several stories covering the lack of a list are speculating that the public disclosure of the 150 or more names associated with the deep state's favorite pedophile, Jeffrey Epstein, has been delayed. Turns out that Judge Loretta Preska signed an order on December 18th for the public release of the identities of those more than 150 people mentioned in various court documents in a now-settled 2015 civil lawsuit filed by Virginia Jeffrey that centered on allegations that Epstein's associate and former girlfriend and, uh, I guess you'd say, pimp, Jelaine Maxwell, facilitated the sexual abuse, hers in particular, and a number of prominent figures, including the rapist former president Bill Clinton and Britain's Prince Andrew, are expected to be named, but probably not today. And uh, no, not on the original schedule or even the delayed schedule. It might be later in July unless it gets delayed again. And the deadline for objections for the unsealing of the name supposedly passed at midnight on January the 1st. <laughs> and I guess it seems deadlines really only matter when the deep state's out to get you. From there then on, we go to World War III, where the front may or may not be expanding, claiming that they're bombing Hezbollah terrorists, say multiple stories, including from Reuters as well as Hal Turner's radio show. The Israeli Defense Force has now claimed that it carried out airstrikes in Beirut, Lebanon, scattering body parts, and the photos, if you can handle it, are online, over a wide area. According to information coming out of that region, at least three people are known dead, others injured, and according to sources inside Israel, Saleh al-Aruri. Senior Hamas leader was eliminated, taken out, this time in Beirut, a southern suburb called Dahiye. And the stories say it's a Hezbollah stronghold. But it's definitely in Lebanon, and we'll see how it gets spun. Was this an actual escalation, or just another maybe? Here's another one of those stories from the increasingly large gray area. Iranian state media says a piece from Zero Hedge has confirmed that more than 70 people were killed in two terrorist attacks. And they're using the word at the cemetery where memorial anniversary events for slain IRGC General Qasem Soleimani were being held in the southern city of Kerman. Sky News reports that a spokesman for Iran's emergency services told state media that 73 people had been killed and 170 injured on the four-year anniversary of Soleimani's assassination. And Iran is vowing to, quote, punish the perpetrators of the Kerman explosions, according to state media. Meanwhile, related to the Ukraine front of World War III, which pretty much seems all over except for the shouting, more and more Western publications, says Tyler Durden's summary, are belatedly admitting that all is not well when it comes to the state of the war. The Times of London, the latest to report on Sunday that the UK has, quote, nothing left in its own military stockpiles after being among the biggest weapons suppliers for the nearly two years of conflict. And guess whose stockpiles are even more depleted, folks? But it's not like the regime ever intended to use them defending the southern border, now is it? 
And the admissions just keep on coming. British defense officials and European leaders are now busy cranking up the gears, it says, to ramp up weapons production. Hey, I guess there's still more World War to come. And notably, says Zero Hedge, quoting the Times, the dwindled UK stockpile is being reported at a time that Britain's military intelligence chiefs believe Ukraine, quote, cannot win the war against Russia in 2024 because it does not have the manpower or the weapons for a big battlefield breakthrough, unquote, and duh. Part of the problem is what they call war fatigue, i.e. the citizenry of these various nations are just plain sick and tired of it. And, oh yeah, a Trump victory, which would be likely in the event that they don't kill him or continue to rig the election, will spell the end of efforts to fuel the proxy war on behalf of the Ukrainian dictator with the piano-playing penis. Here's a related story, this time courtesy of Robert Williams via the Gatestone Institute, which says that pro-Hamas protests in London are not as apparently organic and spontaneous as the organizers would like you to believe they are. And he goes through a whole lot of detail with names and connections, but the bottom line is this. At least four groups, it says, with links to Hamas, are reportedly behind a number of the marches. The Muslim Association of Britain, MAB, the Palestinian Forum for Britain, the Palestine Solidarity Campaign, and something called the Friends of Al-Aqsa. And these same groups, says the piece from the Gatestone Institute, were behind the largest protests so far on November the 11th in London, where about 300,000 people were said to have participated. Supporting Hamas, though, a proscribed terrorist organization in the UK, could lead to up to 14 years in prison. And I guess we can see what happens when the rhetoric replaces reality. Because it increasingly looks, folks, like they're treating Hamas kind of like they were Antifa or BLM as opposed to MAGA-types. You can almost say it really ain't terror unless the real terrorists say it is. Speaking of which, let's turn to the war on the non-existent southern border, where it's not so much the casualties that tell the tale, but the reporting about them that is really educational. This one comes from the Daily Mail in the UK, and the headline tells us a lot about how this is being received. An Arizona man, it says, is shot at 16 times while driving home from Mexico on Christmas Eve after taking a different route than he intended to avoid a roadblock caused by the migrant crisis, sick, that left him at the mercy of various rivals smuggling gangs, which is kind of what they're doing to the entire stinking United States, especially the state of Arizona. The fellow's name was Craig Ricketts, age 68, who passed through a violence-plagued route in Sonora, Mexico, where his car was bullet-riddled. Two bullets hit him in the arm and the leg, one shattering his left ankle. And he excused the attack, saying, quote, they don't know who I am. In other words, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He blames his GPS because it has traffic warnings, but it didn't warn him about potential terrorist attacks or migrant invader routes. Hmm. I guess that's something Garmin will have to work on. But it might be tough to keep up with. Wait a minute. What am I thinking? Who am I kidding? The invaders already have all the information like that that they need. It's just Americans that don't. Normally, says a piece, Ricketts would have headed through the Lukeville port of entry. But if you've been following the news, you know that that's a real mess. So that checkpoint was closed on December 4th, it says, when U.S. Customs and Border Patrol officers, sick, were reassigned to process illegal invaders. Uh, they call them asylum seekers here. Let's just let that one sit there and stink for a second. But the businessman said his target goal was to go through the port at Nogales, but the GPS redirected him instead to a route near the Sasabe port of entry that is now highly contested by rival smuggling gangs, some of whom are probably wearing U.S. uniforms. But hey, that's just my cynicism speaking, because I've been paying attention to the truth here. Remember, folks, the right kind of gangs are being supported by Big Brother. You could even say fast and furiously. Said Ricketts, evidently referring to his offending GPS system, 
they have a notification if the traffic is slow or there's an accident ahead, but there's nothing that tells you you're going into danger. Suddenly, he found his car peppered with bullets, nearly 20 shots. Two hit the 68-year-old himself. One hit his radio. Lots of others hit his window and door. And as I've already mentioned, he said he feels no animosity towards his attackers because, quote, the bottom line is they don't know who I am. They just wanted to secure their access for smuggling people, unquote. And isn't that special? By the way, he was down there because for the past seven years, he's been a real estate developer in a place called Puerto Libertad, in a community known as Liberado, which is billed as Mexico's most exclusive development. That is, if you survive the trip. What do you bet they're going to have better security there than the U.S. border does? Here's another related item, this time courtesy of Zero Hedge again, and Real America's voice host, Ben Berkwam, who published a video on social media platform X, formerly known as Twitter, that exposes what he called a guerrilla camp on the southern border. I guess one of many folks operated, in this case, and I guess that also applies to most of them, by radical leftist groups. Sometimes they're called NGOs, which means non-governmental organization, but it's really a public-private partnership aiding and abetting the invasion. And in this case, they're aiding and abetting the illegal migrant invasion, specifically by the cartels. And here I have to note that, as you're probably aware, it's hard to know when the cartels end and their communist Chinese partners begin. Okay, he wrote, here is the whole video. You better watch it all. It just gets worse and worse. Leftists caught directly aiding and abetting the invasion of our country at the wall in, oh, this place sounds familiar, Sasabe, Arizona, he wrote. And then he continued, these are some of the same people that we previously exposed harboring illegals at their camp in Aravaca. How do we save our country when we allow enemies within to do this? When we take power back, I guess you'd have to put the word if in there, these organizations must be defunded and prosecuted, unquote. And some of us will suggest it's a bit too late for that. It's going to require a military response at this point, and that probably won't be allowed because the military invasion is already complete, folks. The fifth columns are everywhere. Well, maybe I'd better rephrase that a bit. The 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th, and 27th columns, or battalions, are already in place. And just to reprise what you probably already knew, but now the numbers are at least official, Fox News is reporting that Big Brother has admitted 302,000 encounters, isn't that a polite way to put it, with illegal invaders occurring in one month, December 2023, And that doesn't count all the special forces and other types that weren't encountered at all, but just came on across and joined up with their cells. Item. And you know what? When I put this story in the stack originally, I thought it was a bit of a shift, but now that I'm doing it, I don't think so. From Jim Hoft and the Gateway Pundit, a convicted ballot harvester, a traitorous named Gloria Torres, has been appointed vice mayor of San Luis, Arizona. Despite having pled guilty in June 2023, to ballot abuse. They say despite. I think the real truth, folks, is probably because. She was caught doing the dirty deed by local figures with video surveillance. The video information was incriminating. And as a result, several people, including a former mayor, were convicted. Among the charges, two class six felonies for conspiracy and ballot abuse. And now I guess it's more and more clear why the criminality continues and indeed increases. Well, at least you have to admit the term vice mayor is apropos. What do you bet some appointed criminal in Arizona will soon declare who the locals there aren't going to be allowed to vote for? And you know what, folks? I guess you just have to say one way or another, almost all the stories, 
seem to be related. Investigative journalist Julie Kelly appeared on Steve Bannon's show, The War Room, to discuss the likely illegal actions, hey, tell me something we didn't know, taken by the fraudulent and politicized, to understate the case quite a bit, January 6th Select Committee in the U.S. House of Reprobates. That select committee says the piece destroyed a number of testimonies, including the key testimony and video of the top Secret Service official, Robert Engel, from the Trump administration. What an amazing coincidence. And this one you've got to pay some attention to. Bannon argues that the video would almost certainly have exonerated President Trump, but now it can't be found because the crooks there deleted it. Said Julie Kelly, Jack Smith's 45-page indictment against the elected president, Donald Trump, on four counts for January 6th is basically lifted right straight from the January 6th Select Committee report. Bogus, folks, as it obviously was. Steve Bannon reiterated, though, that the main issue is the destruction of evidence. Remember, there were over 1,100 recorded depositions, but only about 200 have at even any one time been made available. So that means eight or 900 haven't been seen. And Bobby Engel, one of those that hasn't been seen, wasn't just some security guy. He was head of the Secret Service for Donald Trump. So we'll ask questions so many are. Will 2024 be the year that the rhinos finally step up and do exactly what they should never have allowed to happen in the first place? I know. Don't hold your breath. But meanwhile, the rest of us, of course, need to worry about the really important stuff, which we'll start to talk about after the Bob Hour break. Stay with us. Did you write the book of love and do you have faith in God wonder I can think at all And my lack of education hasn't hurt me none I can read the writing on the wall Welcome back now to the second segment of the show for this evening. I am your host, Mark Hall. And as I was putting this one together, I couldn't help but notice that most of the really interesting stuff had to do with warnings and indications that things aren't what they seem, as if we didn't already know that, but also, more importantly, what direction they might be pointing. So we'll get there in short order, but I couldn't help but think that this might therefore be a good day to take a look at some of the politics surrounding part of the reason, at least, why we're being told certain things and not told other things, and how that might help to clarify what we're fixing to talk about again in just a few minutes. I'll start with this story. Actually, the first couple are all from the leftist mouthpiece that at least tries to get a bit of it more right than the WAPO New York Times and other criminally negligent networks ever managed to. That's the Daily Mail out of the UK. They have a piece that actually raised my eyebrows this morning in titled, Trump has been endorsed by the entire House Republican leadership. Yeah, including the rhinos. The chief whip, Tom Ammer, has completed the ex-president's clean sweep, it says, of senior GOP members after the former president, yeah, the elected president, actually, sank that fellow's speaker's bid with a rhino attack. He called Emmer out, in other words. So, House Majority Whip Tom Ammer has joined his colleagues in backing the former president, the same guy who helped to sink his own bid for the speakership, and arguably rightfully so. This after House Majority Leader Steve Scalise of Louisiana gave his own nod to the elected president, and just days before the Iowa caucuses kick off the 2024 rigged election process. Some of us folks might suggest it's already been kicked to the curb. 
said Emmer on X, quote, Democrats have made clear they'll use every tool in their arsenal to try and keep Joe Biden and his failed policies in power. We can't let them. It's time for Republicans to unite behind our party's clear frontrunner, which is why I am proud today to endorse Donald J. Trump for president, unquote. And the story reiterates that this unflinching statement of support came after and despite Trump torpedoed that guy's own bid to move up during the chaotic effort to find a replacement for uh, the disastrous Kevin McCarthy, who has also now endorsed Trump. So is this amazing, almost unbelievably good news, or does something kind of trigger your spidey sense here, folks? In other words, take a deep breath and see if you smell anything. At a minimum, pay close attention, and I guess the scriptural advice from Matthew 24 is always apropos. See that you are not deceived. Item, maybe this is related, courtesy of Jack Phillips and the Epic Times, a federal judge in the People's Republic of California, can you believe it, has dismissed a lawsuit that sought to keep the elected president, Donald Trump, off the Republican primary ballot there. And on Wednesday, the Clinton-appointed District Judge David Carter not only granted that motion to dismiss the lawsuit, but, quote, with prejudice, meaning it can't be submitted again to the same court. But maybe, folks, this shouldn't surprise us. Even the openly communist government of California, including its wannabe CCP buddy dictator, Gavin Gruesome Newsom, has described these bogus challenges as, quote, a political distraction, which really means that even he gets it. They're so transparent that they're pissing too many people off. Off, even among their so-called allies, and waking them up to the fact that this election has been rigged before it ever even started. But this at least gives us a hint as to how big the ruse is. The Trump campaign and their statement hailed the decision, noting that federal courts in, listen to this list, West Virginia, New Hampshire, Florida, Arizona, and Rhode Island, along with state courts in Minnesota and Michigan, have also dismissed similar equally transparent attempts to use lawfare to rig the elections there. And I guess, speaking of distractions and things that should have come out a long time ago, hey, the list there is legion, isn't it? This one, too, from the Daily Mail. The A-list, it says, of Stars, politicians, and leading figures, sick, named in the Jeffrey Epstein files. Yes, at long last, at least part of it has been released, and the way that it's been done arguably shouldn't surprise anybody. But at least it's giving Joe Public a brief glimpse into why the American legal system is such a circus. Sometimes you'll hear the process called discovery mud fights, and it boils down to two primary weapons, both used by the legal system against its enemies, the clients and those being victimized by the system. And all too often, as it turns out, regardless of which side they're on. One aspect is called unreasonably burdensome document demands for discovery. In other words, ask for everything you can possibly think of and a whole lot more and bankrupt those people that are forced into find them and put them up or face charges. One obvious example, the most recent case to destroy Alex Jones. Demand things that don't even exist, and then nail him when he can't produce them, because, ha-ha, you knew they didn't exist to begin with. But that was never the point, right? It's about destroying the enemy, first with ridiculous numbers of hours of legal fees, and then the Orwellian puppet press, which doesn't care that the documents never existed. They'll drink your Kool-Aid and go after them anyway. But the other side of the coin is no less insidious, and that's the one we see on display today. The defense is often looking for one specific document or one video or whatever the case may be. Hey, you probably won't deliver that, at least not the first dozen or so times they ask. But eventually, when it becomes unavoidable, yeah, you deliver it, along with three semi-tractor trailer loads of other documents that they didn't ask for. But guess what? It's in there somewhere. You better sort through all of those things and find it. 
The needle in the haystack looks trivial by comparison. You'll spend a fortune if you manage to find it at all, and that's the intent. Well, that's kind of what we're seeing today. Some of the Epstein documents, long promised, have finally been released. Uh, well, the first tranche was unsealed overnight. More set to be released on what the Daily Mail calls a rolling basis later on. But for now, the point seems to be to bury the lead and the culprits in the massive 1,000-page document and a whole bunch of other names that have nothing to do with the real culprits. The key, folks, lies in the distinction, subtle sometimes, but at least they actually do get around to pointing this out, between mentioned in the documents and uh, featured prominently, or worse. For example, the list of what the Daily Mail calls high-profile people is as follows, quote, Prince Andrew, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, Al Gore, Kevin Spacey, and Stephen Hawking were all included in evidence filings, unquote. Actors Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Blanchett, Cameron Diaz, and Bruce Willis are also in there, along with model Naomi Campbell. Now, you read on and you see this. None of them, it says, have been accused of any involvement in Epstein's crimes, but Epstein was a name dropper, said Joanna Schoberg in the evidence released overnight. She was clear that she'd never met them. So it says a list of 170 names, find the needle in that haystack, are now set to be made public following the U.S. judge's order last month. The first tranche has been released and more are coming. However, it says... The inclusion of a name does not necessarily mean that they are accused of any wrongdoing, with some names simply put there by witnesses who denied meeting them. The Daily Mail's got lots and lots of pictures of all of these people. you got to read through the article, though, to see which actually matter and which should be in there, which are just there for clickbait. Or, again, worse. Being a British tabloid, of course, they start with Prince Andrew who is accused of all kinds of nastiness, and uh, as a follow-up piece from the same source says, this is the final nail in the coffin for the prince. The bombshell Epstein filed about the underage orgy revelations will no doubt torpedo any hope that the scandal-hit Duke of York has of returning to royal duties, say various experts. There seems to be a whole lot of smoke and fire on that score. And how about that credibly accused rapist president? He's number two in the list here. On that known scumbag score, and yeah, folks, I'm admitting a bit of a bias here, the Daily Mail says the following, and I quote, There are also mentions in the documents of Jeffrey Epstein's past friendship with former U.S. President Bill Clinton, who is not accused of any wrongdoing, unquote, at least, well, not right here. Jeffrey Epstein, it continues, claimed that Bill Clinton, quote, liked them young, said Joanna Schoberg to lawyers, which probably doesn't surprise anyone who's ever heard the term bimbo eruption, the name Monica Lewinsky, and why the late Muammar Gaddafi once noted he had to wait outside the Oval Office for several extra minutes for Bill to take care of business, or the famous quotation from one of his numerous victims, quote, better put some ice on that. But that seems to have been her only contact with him. Maybe he just liked them in blue. As for number three on the list, Donald Trump, who gets headline treatment but doesn't seem to really figure very well. The story way down deep says that Epstein accuser Joanna Schoberg said that she and Virginia Jeffrey had flown with Jeffrey Epstein to New York on his private jet, a.k.a. the Lolita Express. On the way to New York, Schoberg testified Epstein's jet had to divert to Atlantic City, New Jersey because of bad weather. And all the story has to say about it is that Upon hearing the change of plans, Schuberg recalled Epstein saying, great, we'll call up Trump and go to the casino. Schuberg wasn't asked if they'd met with Trump that night, but later in her testimony, she said she was never asked to give Trump a massage. 
kind of a yawner. And this, too, in her deposition, says the Daily Mail, Jeffrey herself said that the summer she turned 17, she was lured away from a job as a spa attendant at Trump's Mar-a-Lago Club, where she ended up becoming instead a masseuse for Jeffrey Epstein, a job that she said then involved performing sexual acts. Notably, I don't see anything in this piece that indicates that she was ever asked whether she wished she'd turned down that wonderful offer. Famous physicist, the late Stephen Hawking, is on the list. There's a picture of him sitting there mostly paralyzed in his wheelchair at Jeffrey Epstein's pedophile island in 2006. Their caption says, at a barbecue, other allegations say it was an underage orgy. i got to ask, could he have really even done anything other than watch? And unless they read his monitor, how would they even know whether he wanted to be there or not? I guess the point I'm making is that uh, unless you read through the details associated with these things and ignore the headlines, sometimes it's really tough to get to the truth. And I can't help but think that's part of the point. Here is, for example, a bit of the transcript that the Daily Mail at least does include, way down deep in the piece, about the aforementioned Kate Blanchett, Cameron Diaz, and Bruce Willis. The question was, I saw one press report saying you'd met Kate Blanchett or Leonardo DiCaprio. No, she said I didn't meet him. When I spoke about them, it was when I was massaging him and he would get off. In other words, referring to the chief pedophile himself, the late Jeffrey Epstein. And no, folks, he didn't kill himself in that prison cell. At one time, he would say things like, oh, that was Leonardo or that was Kate Blanchett or Bruce Willis, that kind of thing. Question. So, name dropping? Answer, yes. So, the question was asked, you had not met Kate Blanchett or Leonardo DiCaprio? Answer, no, I have not. Would you remember if you had? Well, I hope I would remember. Did you meet Cameron Diaz? No. By the way, she didn't meet Kevin Spacey either, although other testimony from a whole lot of other people, mostly younger men, says uh, they certainly did. All of which, folks, simply doesn't prove much of anything specific with respect to them, one way or another. But they got big pictures in this piece. A lot like some who are in here and really were guilty. And when you put it all in context, step back and take a good hard look at what we're seeing here, you can't help but wonder, why didn't we get this kind of coverage, say, before the rigged 2020 election, of the crackhead, whorin', pimpin' son of the big guy, including not only lots and lots and lots of pictures, but emails and evidence of other high crimes and misdemeanors up to and including treason. And one thing's for sure, he certainly had a lot better protection than Epstein did. We'll follow that up with one more story that's a sign of the economic times, where drone and missile attacks by Yemen's Iranian-backed Houthi militants on commercial vessels in one of the world's busiest shipping lanes are being blamed for a surge in spot container rates by a full 173% over recent weeks. Bloomberg cites data from Freitas, a cargo booking and payment platform, showing that the spot rate for a 40-foot container from Asia to northern Europe, since it now has to go around the southern tip of Africa and the Cape of Good Hope, has jumped 173% since only mid-December. There are actually several warnings today that I've been working up to, but probably the premier among them comes from John Anisha Whitehead. It's been repeated on a number of places. I usually see it on LewRockwell.com. Leo Holman has it up as well. But it begins with a reference to a Twilight Zone episode, courtesy of the late, great Rod Serling. I remember this one. When I was a kid, I saw it, even though it didn't quite make as much sense to me as it would now. The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, it was called. And he asked this question. Will 2024 be the year that the deep states exercise in controlled chaos, like Rod Serling predicted so many decades before, finally gives way to an apocalyptic dismantling of our constitutional republic? Or, as he puts it, and I would hardly agree, what's left of it? 
All the signs, though, seem to point in that direction because for years now, Big Brother has been pushing us to the brink of national nervous breakdown. And that breakdown, triggered by polarizing circus politics, media-fed mass hysteria, militarization, and militainment, i.e. the selling of war and violence as if it was entertainment, and a sense of hopelessness and powerlessness in the face of growing corruption, the government's alienation from its populace, an economy that has much of the population struggling to get by, and that, of course, folks, is by design. All of this, he says, has manifested itself in the polarized, manipulated mayhem, madness, and tyranny that is life in the American police state today. Why, he asked, is Big Brother and its deep state engineering this societal madness? What's in it for the government? What's playing out before us, he suggests, is a chilling lesson in social engineering, socialist engineering, really, that keeps the populace fixated on circus politics and conveniently timed spectacles and distracted from focusing too closely on the Big Brother power grabs that continue to go on in plain sight, while at the same time it's incapable of standing united in defense of our freedoms. It's not conspiratorial, he suggests. It's a power play. Back to Rod Serling, the creator of The Twilight Zone, who he suggests understood the dynamics behind this power play. In that episode, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, Serling imagined a world in which the powers that be carried out a social experiment to see how long it would take before the members of a small American neighborhood, frightened by the sudden loss of electric power and caught up in fears of the unknown, boy, how's that for prescient, folks, will transform itself into an irrational mob and turn on each other. Answer, doesn't take long at all. Likewise, in the recent Netflix film, the apocalyptic thriller, courtesy this time of the Barack Hussein Obama crime family, entitled Leave the World Behind, unexplained crises lead to a technological blackout that leaves the populace disconnected, disoriented, isolated, suspicious, and under attack from mysterious ailments and, of course, each other. And as one of its characters speculates, the culprit behind the escalating catastrophes which range from Wi-Fi outages and mysterious health ailments to cities under siege from rogue forces, might be the result of a military campaign intended to destabilize a nation by forcing the people to turn against each other. Well, says Whitehead, it's not really so far-flung a scenario when you consider some of the many ways Big Brother has already gotten the ability to manufacture crises in order to sow fear fuel hysteria, destabilize the nation, and institute martial law. Now, he's going to go through a list here, but up front, I can't help but note, there are those who would claim, and once upon a time I would have been among them, that government is largely incompetent at doing anything, to which all I have to qualify now is, well, anything productive. But when it comes to destruction, remember, the adversary, and guess who they're serving here, comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. And that, folks, they've shown they are really blankety blanking good at. Okay, here's Whitehead's list. One, the government has the tools and the know-how to manufacture health crises. Yep, that's been clear since long before the COVID-1984 lockdown and two-part bioweapon that is still killing people by the millions. Early in Fauci's career, they were creating lethal viruses and unleashing them on an unsuspecting public. Another item in this list is that the government has the tools and the know-how to manufacture civil unrest and political upheaval. Since the days of J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI has been using agent provocateurs to infiltrate activist groups and, quote, expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, and otherwise neutralize them, or use them as the case may be. Third item in the list is that Big Brother has the tools and the know-how to manufacture economic instability. Gee, do you think? Come on. They've been manufacturing currency and with it economic instability, including but not limited to inflation, for over a century now. Eventually it will come apart, but not before they profit massively on the way down, too. 
How about this one? The government has the tools and the know-how to manufacture environmental disasters. Developed in 1947, notes Whitehead, Project Cirrus was an early precursor to HARP, the high-altitude active auroral research project and Big Brother's weather-altering agency, which attempted to disable our hurricane as it was moving out to sea. And instead of weakening the storm, the government was able to steer it straight into Georgia, resulting in millions of dollars of damaged properties. And guess what? Some suggest, and I would be among those who certainly see the evidence here, they've been doing it ever since. But that's not all. Item, the government has the tools and the know-how to manufacture communications blockouts. There are things like the Internet and cell phone kill switches, which enable Big Brother to shut down communications at a moment's notice. It's a practice that's been used in the U.S. For example, in 2005, cell service was disabled in four major New York tunnels, allegedly to avert potential bomb detonations via cell phone. In 2009, those attending the Obama regime inauguration had their signals blocked, again, at least allegedly for the same reasons. And in 2011, San Francisco commuters saw their cell phone signals shut down, this time to thwart possible protests associated with a police shooting. Funny how they only shut down some protests now, isn't it? Here next, one that's painfully obvious, Big Brother has the tools and the know-how to manufacture terrorist attacks, or when necessary, as now, just to let the terrorists in by the, well, millions at least, and then groom them, send them, relocate them, equip them for whatever it is that they've got planned. This includes targeting vulnerable individuals, no Whitehead, feeding them with propaganda, know-how, and weapons intended to turn them into terrorists, if they don't already come in as terrorists for some foreign nation, gang, or cartel, and then arrest them when they feel like it as part of an elaborately orchestrated counterterrorism sting. Then there's this one. The government has the tools and the know-how to manufacture propaganda. Gee, do you think? Aimed at mind control and psyops or psychological warfare. Not long ago, the Pentagon was compelled to order a sweeping review of its clandestine U.S. psychological warfare ops or psyops conducted through social media platforms. The investigation came in response to reports suggesting, can you imagine this, that the U.S. military had been creating bogus persons with AI-generated profile pictures and fictitious media sites on things like two Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in order to, who could have thought it, manipulate social media users. Of the many weapons in Big Brother's vast arsenal, psyops or psychological warfare can take many forms, from mind-control experiments, behavioral nudging, propaganda, to, of course, the ever-popular and still increasing media twisting and election rigging. In fact, the CIA is known to have spent nearly $20 million on its MK Ultra program back when that was real money, reportedly as a means of programming people to carry out assassinations and, to a lesser degree, inducing anxieties and erasing memories before it was allegedly, and do we even believe this for a second, shut down. Or at least it got a new code name and another more secret level of clearance required to see what was going on. We must never forget, says Whitehead, that the government no longer exists to serve its people, if in fact it ever did, to protect their liberties and ensure their happiness. That was back when we had a constitution, folks, and people actually thought that it really mattered. Rather, he says, we the people are the unfortunate victims of the diabolical machinations of a make-works program carried out on an epic scale whose only purpose is to keep the powers that be permanently and, of course, profitably employed. 
And this, he notes, is how tyranny rises and freedom falls. Almost every tyranny now being perpetrated by Big Brother, the once U.S. government, against its citizenry, purportedly to keep us safe and the nation secure, yeah, sure, has come about as a result of some threat manufactured in one way or another by what was once our very own government. Think about it. You've heard the terms. Cyber warfare, terrorism, biochemical attacks, the nuclear arms race, surveillance, the drug wars, domestic extremism. White supremacism, the only kind of actual racism that's even allowed to be admitted, and of course, the COVID-1984 pandemic. And in almost every instance, says Whitehead, Big Brother, the U.S. government, has in its typical Machiavellian fashion sown the seeds of terror, both domestically and internationally, in order to expand its own totalitarian powers. Consider, he adds, that this very same government has taken every single bit of technology sold to us as being in our own best interest, GPS devices, surveillance, non-lethal weapons, you name it, and instead used it against us to track, trap, and control us. Are you getting the picture yet? Big Brother isn't protecting us from threats to our freedoms. The U.S. government is creating the threats to our freedoms. And it's telling that in that movie, Leave the World Behind, before disaster strikes, the main characters, on their way to a family vacation, are utterly oblivious, connected to their electronic devices and insulated from each other as well as the world around them. And adding to the disconnect, the family's teen daughter, Rose, is fixated on binge-watching episodes of Friends, even as the world falls apart around them. As TV critic Jen Chaney explains, the sitcom's presence in the story, quote, underlines how human beings crave escapism at the expense of embracing the the actual present, a different way of leaving the world behind. We're in a similar escapist bubble, says Whitehead, suffering from a crisis of the now, which keeps us distracted, deluded, amused, and insulated from reality. Which is more than a bit ironic, folks, since it's that reality that is intended to take everything you have and ultimately destroy you. So I guess it turns out, as usual, that the real reality is a thing we ought to be paying a lot more attention to. And we've been given all the information we need on that score for quite a while now, if only we would read the book. It's not like our own history hasn't told us that those who founded this country did, those who fought and died for it, to keep it, certainly did. And it's not too much of a leap to recognize that as we've turned away from literally everything that would have once been called, and now it gets a chuckle, truth, justice, and the American way, we've, uh, well, yes, reaped exactly what has been sown. And yeah, I think I know what you're thinking. I actually kind of feel like hearing it too. And it's um, at least a poignant reminder of how far we've come. So we'll close with it today. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Whoops. And no, folks, there's no savior coming from Krypton, or for crying out loud, certainly not the D.C. swamp or even New York City. But we knew that already, didn't we? Still, though, here's some irony. For the most part, we don't even have real journalists anymore. Mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. (laughs) 